0: I'm really excited to bring to you the fifth installment of our seven church series. So today, we're gonna talk about the church in Sardis and we're gonna jump straight into it because there's so much to unpack. So let's get ready. So Revelations chapter three, verse one to six, and I'm gonna read it out for all of us today and you can track on FCC.live as well as your own Bibles. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, this this is Jesus speaking, Whoever has years, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Now when I was much younger, uh, and I was in high school, doing what is uh, the equivalent of senior high here in Australia, in the equivalent of year 11, I was really, really bad in my math. I love my math, but math didn't love me, so I, I did so badly for math. I was consistently bad at my math. So ever since year 11, I was failing all my tests and all my exams, and and my results would typically be in the range of like 35 to 48 out of 100. Now, all, all you kinetic youths out there, don't say, don't tell your parents right now that, you know, Pastor Dan says that he failed, and look at him right now, he's a good guy. No, I repented like a thousand times since then, and I've changed, right? But I was consistently bad. And then came... Oh, and every time when I, when, I, when I did badly for my exams, then I would get all the red marks from my teachers, cross, 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 cross. Now, what's really nice about my math tutor was that she would always tell me what was wrong. Like, Dan, you know, this is wrong. You could have done it this way. This, are you sure this is the right formula, blah, blah, blah. So she tried to help me to improve by giving me comments. And then came this particular test where I did extraordinarily bad where I got 12 or 13 out of 100. And all I had on that piece of paper was just red marks and cross, cross, cross. She didn't even bother to put the comments and say, you can do this better. This wasn't good. This wasn't right. She just completely gave up because I had failed so badly. But in the same way, when you read this letter, you see Jesus doing the same thing to the church in Sardis. You see, up till this point, all the churches, Jesus would, would typically go something like, this is who I am, and this is what you've done well. I see all these things that you've done, and you did really well, right? He praised them. And then at some point in time, he's going to say, but these things you didn't do so well. You can improve in the things that you've done. So he praised them, and he appraised them. But in the church of Sardis, they failed so miserably, this is literally the worst church, that Jesus didn't even bother to praise them or to appraise them, just like my teacher. See, Jesus said this in verse one, we read this. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. It's almost like he's praising them. It's almost like, yeah, everybody thinks that you are so great. And then he gives a backhanded compliment. But you are dead. And this is how terrible the church in Sardis was. It's kind of like me in my math in year 11. Jesus is contrasting between what is the visible, which is everybody says and everybody sees that you are doing so good. Your reputation is dynamic. You're known for being alive. You're known to be that spiritual person. You're known to be the leader. You have a title, you have a title. You are a pastor. You're a connect group leader. You're a ministry leader. You're known to be a teacher. You're a minister leader in the church. You're known to be a CEO. You're known to be a corporate leader. You're known to be a Christian marketplace leader. Everybody sees that. That's the visible. But the invisible is that you are dying inside and you don't even know it. You look so good on the outside, but inward, you are dying. Jesus is also contrasting what is temporal versus what is eternal. Say at some point of time, that fame, that reputation is gonna come out and what is eternal, which is your spiritual life, is not gonna make it to the end of time because you're dead inside. And most of all, Jesus is contrasting between what is the superficial versus the spiritual. The superficial is you look so good on the outside. As a church, you've got a big building, you've got plenty of car park lots, you've got, you've got smoke machines, you've got big sounding worship, you've got great drummers and great musicians, you've got great worship leaders, You're growing, you've got so many connect groups. You're growing on the outside. People drive past your building and they say, what a great church because it's so big. Every time when we go past the road, we see the name of that church. We see the name of that person. So beautiful on the superficial, but in the spiritual, you're dead. And this was the comment, this was the one thing that Jesus said about the church in Sardis. And maybe that describes some of us today. They're on the outside, we look good. On the outside, it seems like everything is going well. But on the inside, in the spiritual level, we know that we are weak. We know that we're dying on the inside and people don't even know it. Because on the outside, we look good. We smile, we come to church like everything is okay. We lift our hands during worship, like we love Jesus with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, with all our strength. But when it comes to the spiritual things, We've completely lost it, completely lost the plot. And that's what happened to the church in Sardis. But the beautiful thing about this letter is that's not where Jesus left them, because that's only verse one. There's another five more verses where Jesus actually spells out for them how they can restart their spiritual life, how they can come back to spiritual life, where they can flourish and grow in their spiritual life again. So if that is your story where you feel like you're dying on the inside, you feel like you're weak, you feel like your spirit person is not quite where you want it to be, then this is the letter for you. Because Jesus spells out for us how we can restart our spiritual life. And today we're going to unpack this amazing letter and pull out three very key ingredients that Jesus puts in there for us to restart our spiritual life. So the three ingredients to restart your spiritual life. Number one, is spiritual community, spiritual community. Jesus says in verse two, wake up! Maybe he's saying that to some of us today. You know, if you're watching online and you're still in your PJs and you're still trying to get through your mug of coffee, wake up! If you're in those venues and you're falling asleep, (laughs) wake up! Jesus says that, wake up. Now in the Greek, wake up is the word gregoreo, whereby we get the name Gregory. So if you're sitting next to somebody who's Gregory, or if you've got a friend who is Gregory, Gregory, wake up, wake up. It's funny, every time when I call Gregory, now it's gonna be in my head, wake up. Literally what Gregoreo means is to stay awake. It's a picture of somebody who has woken up, like you and I, we woke up this morning, we're, we're awake, but then because... We're tired because we're sleepy, because we haven't slept enough, because we just woke up from our dreams, or, or the weather is really cold outside and it's cloudy, and you feel like your eyes are heavy and you're slowly falling back to sleep. It is a picture of, of somebody needing to wake up because their eyes are starting to close again. And maybe some of us are in that state today, spiritually. Now why did Jesus say this to the church? It's because the church has gone into a spiritual coma. They were awake. They were thriving. That's where they got their reputation of being alive. But they were falling into a spiritual coma. How do we know this? Jesus says in verse 3, but if you do not wake up, which means to say they're not awake, which means to say they're asleep, they're snoozing, they're losing. If you do not wake up, Jesus says, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Here's the background, you gotta understand, it helps us for for us to unpack the city of Sardis, to understand what Jesus is saying here. So Sardis is is an amazing city, it was a powerful city. Back in the 700 BCs, it was actually the capital of of a kingdom called Lydia, not people of Lydia, but the kingdom of Lydia, and King Croesus was actually living in there. Now the reason why he made that his capital was because the city of Sardis is actually very, very strategic. It's actually surrounded on three sides by cliffs and the only way in and out of the city is through this little stretch in front of it where it goes upslope to the citadel, to the fortress, to the city of Sardis. So strategically, militarily speaking, it's amazing. It is almost invulnerable, it's impenetrable, it's impregnable. So it was actually for 200 years completely secure, but here's what happened. 200 years later, after it started, in 500 BC, it actually got conquered by its enemies. And you know how, how it happened? It's because the enemy was on the outside of the city. And one night, they decided to climb the walls. And they realized that everyone in the city was asleep. The soldiers and the watchmen, who should have been watching over the walls, had fallen asleep. And so what did the soldier do? The soldiers climbed over the wall and opened up the gates for all their own soldiers to come in, and then they conquered the city. And then you would have thought they would have learned this in the history. But 300 years later, it happened again. Not once, but twice. The watchmen and the soldiers had fallen asleep, and there was no one watching the walls. And then another kingdom came to conquer the city of Sardis. So what Jesus is saying here seems to be, you know what happens, church, you know what happens when you fail to stay awake. So don't be in a spiritual coma today. Don't be in a spiritual snooze today. For some of us, maybe God has spoken to us. God has lifted something in our spirits. When we first came to know him, we read the Bible in and out. We are so excited about Jesus. We worship him. But maybe sometime, sometime some, some way you know, along the road, we hit the spiritual snooze button and say, now I wanna focus on my work. Now I wanna focus on things that I wanna pursue. My heart is now drawing me to my workplace. My heart is now drawing me to, to building securities and, and buying houses and, and chasing after those cars. We hit the spiritual snooze button. Maybe for some of us, God has placed in our hearts a heart for mission. And God has, God has awoken you before to the heart, to this plight of the people around the world who do not yet know Jesus. And you say, God, I feel for those people. God, I want to serve you and love you with all my heart. God, I want to give you all my life. And somewhere along the way, you have been caught up by other things and you hit the spiritual snooze button and you say, I will wait. It can wait. God can wait. Now in this season of my life, I want to pursue some other stuff, and I will come back to you, Jesus. I will come back to the things of God. I will come back to the pursuits and the passions that God has placed in my heart. You hit the spiritual snooze button. And maybe some of us are in that state, and Jesus is telling us to wake up. But how do we wake up spiritually? How do we do that? Every morning when I wake up, I depend on my alarm clock, which is actually my iPhone, and I put it in there. I don't know how many of you do the same, or if you use the old school alarm clock, ring, with a little little, um, uh, hammer between the two bells, ring, but for me, I use the alarm clock. I use the, the iPhone. Now, the first personal alarm clock was actually invented a long time ago. 1787, it was invented by an American inventor called Levi Hutchins. And he invented the first personal alarm clock because he needed to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And that was during the time of the Industrial Revolution where people would, for the first time in human history, have to leave their homes to go to a place where they will work and they will build, uh, they, they, will, they will exchange their time for money. Somebody will pay them income. So your livelihood depends on when you wake up and how you wake up. So, so Levi decided that he will invent a personal alarm clock in 1787. But for 200 years, for 100 years, it wasn't popular at all. Even though this was in the middle of the industrial revolution and people were needing to wake up in the morning. And it's because of the presence of these people called knocker-ups, knocker-ups. And what these knocker-ups do in, in, in Europe was that they would wake up extremely early in the morning. I don't know how they wake up, but they do wake up in the morning and they have a list of clients that they have to go to. So if they go to their client's house and they would typically bring like a soft hammer or they will bring a bamboo pole or you know, if, if the person lives on the third or fourth floor where they cannot reach, then they will take a pea shooter and until the pea keeps knocking on the window and the person wakes up. So they would go up to their clients and knock on the window until the client wakes up. Their one job is to knock them up, in a sense, knock them up. So they would knock on the windows, and finally the client would wake up. <sighs> 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 thank you, thank you. And they would pay a pence or one cent to the person, and they move on their way and they go to their next client. This knocker-uppers would be so popular from the late 1700s to actually 1970s, it was still there. People were still doing this knocker-up business till 1970s for 200 years. And what this tells me, what this teaches me is that the best way to get up is to get help. The best way to get up from your rest, from your sleep, is to get help. And we all need other people to help us wake up. We all need other people to help us to wake up, both in the physical as well as in the spiritual. Jesus said in this letter, wake up, not to individuals, not like, hey, John, wake up. Hey, Peter, wake up. Hey, Jeremiah, wake up. No, it's to the church. He says, you all wake up. It is to a community of believers that Jesus was speaking to. You all wake up because it is in a community that we help each other to wake up and to stay up. Having a spiritual community keeps us from spiritual coma. And that's the reality. You know, Jesus actually talks elsewhere in the Gospels about waking up and keeping watch, staying awake, because he comes in like a thief in the night. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 to 44, and you can turn there with me, or you can look at FCC.live. Jesus says this, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man, that is himself, Jesus, will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Sometimes when we read this, we feel like Jesus is talking to me. Jesus is talking to you, Pastor Dan. Therefore, keep watch. But if you look in the Greek, if you look in the original language of what Jesus actually how Jesus actually said it, it's not you, it's actually plural. So if I expand that out for us in his original context, this is how you, you will read it. Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44 again. Therefore, you all keep watch, because you all do not know at what day all your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner, this is now singular, he comes back to the person who's single and does not have people with him, if the owner had known at what time of the night the thief was coming he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you all also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour where you all do not expect him you see we need to be part of a spiritual community to keep us from spiritual coma and that's why connect groups is so important to fcc that's why For us, we say if you're not part of a connect group in FCC, you don't really feel like you're part of the family. And I'm so proud to be part of Faith Community Church where more than 85% of our people are actually connected to connect groups. More than 85, which means to say if you don't have a connect group today, you're actually a minority. And I would love, we would love for you to be connected so that you can stay spiritually strong and not be in a spiritual coma. And one of the best ways that you can do this is to get connected in a connect group. This is something that we have said many times before. You can be part of a connect group without growing spiritually mature. But you cannot grow spiritually mature without being part of a connect group. And that's just the reality. So in your best interest, in your spiritual life, you have to be part of a connect group. You need to find a spiritual community. So join a connect group today. And here's how you can do it. Very easy, just quickly, two things you can do. One is, if you're watching this and you want to be part of a connect group, just say, I'm interested. Type in your chat, I'm interested. Or if you want to, you can go on to fcc.live and go to the connect tab and say, I'm looking for a connect group. And we will help you with everything that we have to get connected to a connect group because that is so, so important to you. So the first ingredient of restarting our spiritual life is this, a spiritual community. And the second one is this, spiritual connection. Jesus says in verse two, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Why did Jesus say this? It's because the church was too spiritually weak to fulfill his purpose and his mission. You see, God had made the church to live out a certain purpose. God has made us as Christians to live out his mission, to do something that only uniquely you can do and not I can do or anyone else can do. But then Jesus goes on to say, I have found your deeds unfinished. The work that you've been doing, the kind of stuff that you've been living for, I found it completely unfinished in the sight of my God. Once again, here's the background to why Jesus said that. About 300 BC, in the city of Sardis, the people decided that they wanted to build a temple, a great temple to the goddess of Artemis. Uh, Artemis happens to be the twin sister of Apollo, who is the son of Zeus that Pastor Dave talked about. I'm geeking out here, I'm nerding out because I kind of like all this Greek mythology. So Artemis is actually a pretty high up goddess out there. And the people of Sardis, the Sardians, not sardines, the Sardians wanted to build a great temple. And the size of the temple was so huge, it's almost the size of a football field. So they started out building all these uh, pillars and columns, but 300 BC, but at the time of this letter, which is 180, 400 years had passed, but the temple was still incomplete. It was still unfinished. They didn't bother to finish it, because what happened was in every generation of Sardians, they tried to do something with the temple, try to build it up a little bit more, but then they would face difficulties like earthquakes, famines, and wars, and every time when they had a setback, they would step back and they would say, we're not finishing this, I'm done. Till this day, if you were to go to Sardis for your holiday or for an academic trip, you will still find that it's incomplete, unfinished, How many hundred years? 2,300 years later, it is still unfinished. When Jesus says, I found the stuff that you have been doing, the stuff that you have been starting out to do in the beginning of your spiritual walk, when you were on fire, when you were passionate about me, when you were convicted about the things that I've called you to do, till this day, is unfinished. Because you you have faced setbacks. I know you face setbacks. But every time when you face a setback, you step back. You didn't step into what I have called you to do. So Jesus seems to be saying to the church in Sardis that all your ancestors could not finish what they started. Now you are doing exactly the same. You've given up. You're too spiritually weak to fulfill what I've called you to do. And maybe some of us are feeling that way. Maybe some of us, we feel like we've been beaten up by circumstances, by COVID-19, by the pandemic, by people, by what people have told, spoken to us. You're, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. You're too spiritually weak. You're not gifted enough. Oh, look, 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 look at your bank account. You don't have enough. You need to be more secure. Take a step back first and build your security. Maybe you're facing some difficulties in your marriage, in your relationships. And that has set you back, and you can't step into what God has called you to do. So you feel spiritually weak. Maybe life has got you so bad that you've now ended up on your knees, and you don't have the strength to step into what God has given to you. You can't even have the strength to step up, to stand up, because you're too spiritually weak. You say, God, I really want to, but, but I can't. God, I really, I know, I know, Jesus. I I know what you have called me to do. I know what you've placed in my heart, but I don't have what it takes, Jesus. And maybe you're too spiritually weak to fulfill your purpose. And whatever God has placed in your heart, you cannot finish it. So how do we get strengthened spiritually? Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Now the word strengthen in Greek is the word sterizo, which literally means... To make someone inwardly firm or committed. And the key word is this to make someone. To make someone. So strengthen is not something you do to yourself, strengthen is what someone does to you. You make someone strong, by sterizo, by strengthening them. You see, other parts of the Bible, when they use the word sterizo, it actually says this, and it's not in your slides, but it's in fcc.live, and I'll read it out for you. But I have, Jesus says this to Peter. When Jesus says, well, Peter, you think you're so great, because Peter said, Jesus, I'm not gonna deny you. I love you so much, Jesus, I'm not gonna deny you ever. Everyone else can deny you, but not me, no. I, I love you, Jesus, I'm strong. And Jesus said this to Simon Peter. But Simon Peter, before the crow, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. And Jesus says this in Luke 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, when you return, when you repent, strengthen your brothers. Sterizo your brothers, give them strength. And then in Acts 18, verse 23, it says this about Paul. After spending some time in the city of Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place, strengthening all the disciples. Sterizo, strengthening all the other disciples and the believers. You see, strengthening is not something you do to yourself, it's what others do to you. If you're part of a spiritual community, you have the strength. People can pick you up when you feel down and out. Isn't that true? When you're in a connect group, say, I don't feel very good today, I just feel really weak, I don't know what to do with my business, I don't, know, I don't know what to do with my marriage, can you pray for me? People pray for you and you find strength, isn't that true? When somebody texts you and say, you can do this, you find strength, isn't that true? Stay reso. you make someone strong. But it's not just that, your spiritual connection comes not just from your spiritual community, but most of all, most importantly, it comes from your spiritual connection with Jesus. And here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. Paul wrote this, but the Lord Jesus is faithful, which means to say he will not let you down, which means to say he loves you and he cares for you and he will not abandon you. He is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Jesus will give you strength. No wonder we feel so spiritually weak for some of us because we try to dig from the bottom of our wells and try to dig from the bottom of our barrels and say, strengthen yourself. Come on, you can do this. Come on, get through this difficulty. Come on, get through this pandemic. Come on, just need to read the Bible a little bit more. Come on, you need to come back into the love of God. Come on, remind myself. Come on, you don't have what it takes. And that's the point. Jesus says, I will strengthen you. Why do it out of your own strength where I can give you what you need? Strengthening is not something you do to yourself. It's what I do for you. Your strength comes not from yourself but comes from your spiritual connection with Jesus Christ. And that's the point. So today, if you feel that you're weak, the one thing you need the most is strength of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ himself. And if you feel weak, then maybe the prognosis is this, that you are not fully connected with Christ. That you forgot that your strength comes from God and God alone. You forgot that you don't have what it takes. But Jesus does, and he's faithful. And he will come to you, he will strengthen you, and he will protect you from the evil one. So, our spiritual connection with Christ determines our spiritual capacity. Your spiritual strength comes not from yourself, but from your spiritual connection with Christ. And that's why Jesus says this in John 15:5: I am the vine, you're the branch. I am the vine, I'm the plant, I'm the tree. You are the branch that connects with me. You are the branch. And he says this, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. You will do great things. You will, do, you will have uh, progress. You will have success in the, spirit, in the spiritual terms. You will grow spiritually mature. You will bear much fruit. But apart from me, when you are apart, when you are disconnected from me, you can do nothing. That's why Jesus says, you need me and I'm here for you. So when you get connected with Christ, when you connect with Christ, what do you get? You get the peace of Christ. His peace will be your peace in the time where you are feeling fluttered and in chaos. His power will be your power when you feel powerless in your circumstances. His joy will be your joy at a time where you feel like life is just pounding you down and keeping you knocked down on your knees and you don't have the strength to get up. When you connect with Christ, what is crisis? What belongs to Christ comes to you. So your spiritual connection with God is really, really, really important. So how do we do that? Connect daily with God with Christ in prayer and scripture. It's as simple as that. There are many things that you can do. I say start with this. If you feel like you've been disconnected with Christ, from Christ, start by praying. Start by saying, Jesus, I need you. Start by opening up your Bibles and say, Jesus, I trust you at your word. Your word gives me strength, and I come to you because I need strength. And that's why our prayer life and our devotional life is so, so important. In FCC, we talk about being disciples of Jesus Christ. And you cannot be a disciple without being connected with Christ. It will be pointless and futile. And that's why we need to be spiritually connected with Christ. Ravi Zacharias, who recently passed into glory, he passed on. He says this famous verse, that we might have heard it many times in FCC. He says, not verse, famous words. He says this, nothing you and I can do will be significantly meaningful before God if we neglect our prayer and devotional life. Maybe we feel spiritually weak today because we have been neglecting precisely those two things, our prayer life and our devotional life. And if you are in that situation where you feel spiritually weak, you need to have a spiritual reconnection with Christ. You and I do, absolutely. So the first ingredient of restarting our spiritual life is spiritual community. And the second ingredient is this, spiritual connection with Christ. And the third one is this, spiritual conviction. Jesus says this in verse three, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Why did Jesus say this? It's because most of the church in Sardis had traded away their convictions. They traded away what they have learned about Jesus. They traded away their faith. They traded away what counts when you know the Lord. They believe in Jesus. Literally, here's what happens in in Sardis. Before we get that, let's go to verse four. Jesus says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. You see, the other churches, Jesus will say this, Church in Ephesus, church in Pergamum, church in Smyrna, church in uh, Thyatira, you know, you're all doing this, and there are a few of you who have given up the faith. There are a few of you who have listened to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. There are a few of you who have listened and, 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 and believed in the teachings of the prophecies of Jezebel. There are a few of you who have messed up, but the majority of you are doing okay. But the tables are turned here for Sardis. He says, There are a few of you who have been faithful. There are a few of you who have not soiled their clothes, which means to say they've not given up their faith. They remain walking in righteousness and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. A few of you only. The majority of you, you're spiritually dead. What happened in the city of Sardis is this. That people, that people, there's so many different kinds of people that they were a multi-everything church. So they will be multilingual, there will be multi-belief, multi-ethnicity, all kinds of people. And the motto of the city seems to be this, let's all just get along. We're all different, but let's just get along. You don't have to be distinct, you don't have to be distinguishable from the rest of the people because we just want to get along. So if you visit the city of Sardis today, you will find one of the biggest Jewish synagogues, the ruins of one of the biggest Jewish synagogues, which is kind of like a religious center for, for, for Jews and Judaism. you find one of the biggest Jewish synagogues left over. And when you get there, you will see that there is an altar where they would normally read the scripture. That's what they do when they meet together. And that, you think, would be very sacred But what happens is on the sides of the altar, you would actually have emblems of emperor worship. You would actually have eagles, which is a symbol of the Roman Empire on the sides. When you walk around the leftover tiles on the floor, you will see tiles that would depict paganism and worship to other gods. Which means to say, there is no distinction for the Jews against the other religions and the other beliefs. Because the motto of the city was, we're all different, but let's all just get along. And, and if you go to the marketplace today, what is left over of the marketplace? They will have different stalls. You know, kind of like when we go to the mall, you have different stores. And, and you will find one of the stalls having a Christian cross on his back. You can still, still see the leftover of the cross. So that means that that person is a Christian, supposedly. And right next to that store would be a Jewish symbol. So, so Jews would literally be doing their business right next to a Christian. But here's the strange thing. Because in those times, if you were to believe outwardly, explicitly, show your worship to any other god but Caesar himself, the, the Roman emperor himself, you would be in trouble. But these guys can bring their cross and these guys can bring their Jewish symbols into the marketplace. Why? It's because they were too sedated in the way they practiced their religion. They were too innocuous in the way they preached their faith. It's almost like I'm just wearing a cross to my work. And when somebody comes and asks me, how was your weekend? How was your Sunday? Instead of saying, I went to church and it was a great time. I worshiped God and God spoke to me. We say, yeah. I went to the cafe. It was nice. Uh, the weather was kinda cold. And when something good happens to you in your life, and your friend asks you about it, who doesn't know Jesus, they come up to you and they ask you, so, so, so how, how do you feel? Uh, uh, how do you come out of it? Instead of saying, I thank God that God is so good, that he's blessed me through this difficult time, we say, yeah, I worked really hard for this promotion, and I'm so glad that I got it. The way that they practice their faith was so underground. They traded away their convictions and their faith. Words of God no longer came out of their mouth. The praise of Jesus no longer were on their lips. But they all attributed things that they they had in their life to other things. So that's why Jesus says, almost, come on, you gotta remember what you have received and repent. So how do we hold fast to our conviction today? Jesus says, by remembering what we have received and heard. Remember what you have received and heard. So let's quickly revise, what have we heard? What did we receive as as Christians? That Jesus, who did not have to come on earth, came onto the earth to die for our sins because we were so stuck in our sin that there was no way that we could have came out of our spiritual death that our spiritual life doesn't depend on us, that what we have is not enough. It, it does, we don't have what it takes to bring us back to life, that we live by the grace of God, that everything that we have is by God and God alone, that He gave everything to us. The money that we have in our banks, the houses that we live in, the cars that we drive, It's not because of me, it's because of Jesus. His goodness and His grace abounds in my life. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights, the heavens. Everything I have is His. Why do I think that I work hard and I deserve this? No, it's God. And if I think I work hard and I deserve this, and this is dependent on me, then I feel so much stress because I know I can't control tomorrow. What's gonna happen to me? What's gonna happen to my job? And in the same way, we are saved by grace and grace alone that we don't have what it takes. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we might be reconciled back to the Father, which means to say that there's nothing you and I do that can make us deserve it. And in the same way, there's nothing you and I can do that can make us undeserving of the grace of God. We believe that Jesus died for all people and for us And we should live a life that glorifies him, that worships him, that that his, his, his praises will ever be on our lips. This is our conviction. And today you might say, Pastor Dan, I know that. I know that already, I heard that before. I know that you know that. The problem is not that you don't know, the problem is that we don't remember. We live every day as if it depends on us. The breath that we breathe comes from us. We deserve the oxygen. Oxygen was created for us? No, it is all in the hands of God. That there is nothing that we do that deserves the oxygen. But God has given us breath. God has given us life. And as the first song that we sang today says that I'm not dead and I believe that God has more for me. God is the one who gives me breath and there's much more to live for in him. Our convictions are dependent on our remembrance. And if you don't remember that God died and and that he gave it all to you, then you will have no conviction. The truth is this, we can't be faithful if we are forgetful. You can't be faithful if you're forgetful. If you forget God, how can you be faithful to God? It's just impossible. And that's the truth. So Jesus says, remember what you've received and heard, but remembering is not enough You need to repent also, remembering and repent. That's why Romans 2, 4 tells us that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. God's kindness, his grace, his goodness is intended to lead us to repentance. Remembrance means nothing without repentance. If today God has brought something to mind to you, then maybe it's time for us to recommit our lives to him by repenting and say, God, I I hear what you say. God, I understand. God, I hear you. And I'm sorry for the many times that I have let go. I'm sorry for the times where I have lived for myself. And let's repent. So the first ingredient of restarting our spiritual life is this, spiritual community. The second ingredient is spiritual connection. The third ingredient is our spiritual conviction. And that's not where it ends. Because what happens when you restart your spiritual life and you come back to life again? Jesus promises this amazing reward. And we call it spiritual communion for today. Spiritual communion. Jesus says this in verse four to five. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold the clothes. People who remain faithful to me. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. It's kind of like uh, when you watch Thor in the Avengers. The hammer comes back, like, I'm still worthy. You are still worthy if you choose to be faithful to Jesus. And Jesus says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. What does being dressed in white means? It means that you are clothed in righteousness, that you have been faithful, that you have not traded away your convictions for something else. You have stood, the firm, that you stood firm through tests and trials. Now, the, the context is this. Jesus is coming back, He is. We are people who know the end from the beginning. Jesus is coming back, and when He comes back, He will be victorious. He's the one who will conquer all things. All evils, all sadness will go away, because Jesus is back. Now in those days, during the time of the Romans, during the time where, where the letter of Sardis was written, what happens is when people conquer a city, When a general or king conquers a city and they take over the city, what they do is they come through the front gate of the city on a high horse and they're dressed in all their bad gear and they're looking really good and really smirk about themselves and they're riding on the horse and all the people along the streets will be cheering for them or, 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 or looking at the victory parade. This is called a victory parade and he will be riding on his horse. Really, really smirk. And behind him is a whole entourage of his supporters, people who, 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 who pledge their allegiance and loyalty to this conqueror. And they will all be dressed in white. So this is exactly what Jesus is saying. When I come back, I will be the victorious one. And the one who put his faith in me will be walking behind me. They will pledge their allegiance and their loyalty, and they will join me in this great victory parade. My victory is not mine alone. My victory is theirs as well. My victory is yours as well. If you are to remain faithful, You will be with Jesus. In Revelation chapter seven, there are many things that God promises to those people who are dressed in white at the end of time. And one of the things he says, they will not be hungry, they will not be thirsty, they will have no lack, there will not be a single tear in their eyes. All the pain of this life will be wiped away because the lamb is back and he's victorious. And with him, his great victory parade. And you and I can be there if we remain faithful to Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say this, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life the book of life is kind of like a registry when you came to church today to one of the venues or if you go to a restaurant that you have made a prior booking for what do you do you go up to the counter and, and they ask you uh, do you make a reservation yes i did my name is dan last name yen okay um let me see Ah, oh, you're right there cool cool i see your name you're good come on in That's exactly what Jesus does. He says, on the book of life, there is a registry of names and your name will be in it. I will never blot it out. No one will ever remove your name. You will come in to heaven. You will be with me for all eternity. The one who remains faithful, his name, her name, I will never blot out from the book of life. If you suffered in this world here on earth, you will suffer no more. There might be pain that you can't get over in this life. God is not promising to remove everything, but he says that you will have the victory at the end of time. You will be dressed in white and you will live with me where there is no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. The end of time is where you will be with me forever. Jesus promises that, and he doesn't end there. He says this, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You know what that means? That means Jesus says, Father, at the end of time when Jesus meets his Father, Father, and all the angels, Jesus says, this is Peter, I know his name, I acknowledge his name before you, Father, because he has remained faithful. Let me tell you, Father, about the story of Peter. He had a really hard time He was a broken man, he was punished, he was persecuted. He's been through a lot in life, he never made it. But I seen his life and he has remained faithful. Father, I know Peter, he's with me. And Jesus would say, I know John. John has been through a lot in life, he has been through a lot of difficulties. John had many dreams and ambitions that he wanted to do. But he laid it all aside because he knew that i wanted him to do something greater and far more eternal that would have everlasting impact in the kingdom of god john gave it up for me father this is john he's with me i acknowledge john father i know him father this is andrew You know he's had a he's had a debilitating disease all his life. He couldn't do what he needed to do, and he's always been through pain. But throughout the pain, he never never complained. He's always trusted in me. He's always believed that there will be an eternal life whereby this disease will be removed from his body and his body will be renewed. This is Andrew. He stood the test of time. He loves me, Father. I know Andrew. He's with me. Come on in, Andrew. Jesus knows you by name. And on the last day, Jesus is going to stand before his father and before all the angels and call you out by name and say, Father, I know this person. He's with me. She's with me. Your spiritual communion is your greatest reward because it's one that will last for all time. So there's every reason for us to restart our spiritual life because there's so much to live for eternally in Jesus. So church, today as we draw to a close, I want to pray for all of us who feel like you're spiritually weak. I want to pray for all of us who feel like we have lost the conviction and the passion that we have had for Jesus before and now we seem to be living some kind of routine, mundane Christianity that doesn't seem to make an impact in this world or even to our own world. There's so much to live for if you're in one of the venues, why don't you just stand up? And if you're watching this online, why don't you close your eyes? So if you're in the venues you in the auditorium, why don't you stand up? We're gonna get in a time of prayer. I want every person to just close your eyes. And if God has been speaking to you today and God is saying, reconnect with me, your strength doesn't come from you. I can give you the strength that you need. Or if you want to recommit your life to Jesus and say, God, I remember how it was for me when I began my walk with you. I have lost it already. I repent, I come before you. If that's you, I invite you to just put one hand over your heart and I'll pray with all of us today. Your hands all over this place and I believe that there are hands also at homes and in the venues. Jesus is speaking to all of us today. He wants to be your strength. He wants to reconnect with you. And if your hands are over your heart, pray with me and let this prayer be your prayer. Affirm this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, we need you. And in our heart of hearts, we know God that we are not doing as well as we seem to be on the outside. We might have a reputation for being dynamic, alive and spiritual, but we know inside, we're not half the person we we are on the outside. And so we need you. We come before you and we say, God, I wanna reconnect with you. Your strength will be mine. And God, I know I need to recommit my life. I wanna come back to the place where I'm passionate, where I live a life of purpose, when I'm able to, to let the praise of God hang on my lips and everything that I live for is God and God alone. Would you help me today? Forgive me of all the times that I forgot you. I come back to you, I recommit myself to you. And if you've never known Jesus today, and you never committed your life to him, God wants to be your God, God wants to be your king. He wants to live in your life so that you can have a fresh start in your spiritual life. So that you can be with him for all eternity because he's given everything that he's got for you so that you can be with him forever and you've never made that prayer to commit and have Jesus in your life, I'm gonna lead you through this prayer. And I want you to pray under your breath with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I know that I don't have what it takes, but I also know that in you, I have life. I accept you now into my life as my God and as my Savior. You will be my king and I will be your people forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen.